Welcome to the Movement Church Podcast. Our vision is to be a movement of people finding their way back to God. We want to be a place where you can own your faith and take next steps in your relationship with Jesus. Maybe your next step is to seek out community and join a movement group. Maybe it's supporting movement financially for the first time or using your gifts on a volunteer team. Whatever God is calling you to do, our prayer is that you will step out in faith and let Him lead you. For more information about your next step, please visit movementcolumbus.com. That is the most attractive that getting in a fight with your significant other will ever be right there. That song makes it a lot more glamorous than it is, but I appreciate them sharing that so much. Uh, just fun to, to introduce the topic and, and kind of uh, start thinking that way. Um, well, no one ever, no one ever starts a, a dating relationship. No one ever uh, gets married and says, "Hey, I, I can't wait till this turns into a terrible breakup." Uh, no one ever, no one ever asks someone on a first date and says, "You're not gonna, you're not gonna believe how how this divorce is going to unfold." Uh, and yet, sometimes in relationships, sometimes uh, in dating relationships, sometimes in marriage relationships, uh, we start to see turmoil. We start to see conflict develop, and and over time. Uh, that conflict is not always dealt with as it should be. Uh, these things happen slowly over time, and, and we see uh, people bringing hurt into relationships. We see them carrying hurt. We see them holding previous hurts against the person uh, that they're with. And I, I think uh, relationships will prove this statement very true that I'm sure you've all heard. Hurt people hurt people. And I, I think that we could go around this room and say, hey, have you ever been hurt? Do you have any baggage from a, a previous relationship or a relationship that you're in? And I'm sure that we could all uh, trade stories and, and talk about those things. We are sinful, broken people. And so we carry hurt and we carry baggage and we carry things that have happened because of conflict. And in that conflict, we often go out of our way to hurt each other and to grow further apart. But here's another statement that I love is that forgiven people forgive people and loved people love people. And so we want to, this morning, talk about the tension of relationships and talk about the tension of conflict and exactly how we can make sure that we're fighting fairly and leaning into conflict and using it as God intends and in a positive way. This is week two of our series called Love Songs. We're talking through all kinds of different topics. We're talking through uh, friendship and love and attraction and sex and lust and all kinds of different things and singleness and friendship and how it all rolls together. And uh, our band is going to be uh, playing a song like that every week. So most weeks you'll probably leave not remembering what I said because uh, they're an opener that has upstaged me. But uh, anyway, we want to talk about this topic uh, today. Last week we kind of laid the foundation for this whole series and our big idea was this, that the foundation for all relationships is loving one another like Jesus. Some of us struggle to do that, but some of the take-homes and things we talked about were that we should love each other because God first loved us. Our love is compelled by his love sending Jesus. Our love should be sacrificial. Our love should model grace. Our love should point people to Jesus. Our love should give confidence. Our love should drive out fear. And our love does not earn our salvation, but it testifies to our salvation. It points to what Jesus has done in our lives and in our hearts. And we said that when we find our relationships are not really working, when we find that, that there's difficulty in our relationships, it's usually because one or, or both of us are not sacrificially loving in that way. And so this week we want to press into this topic of conflict, like I mentioned. And uh, to do that, we want to look at a passage in Ephesians chapter 5. So if you can turn there, if you've got a Bible, there's one on your seat or under your seat. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5. Verse 21, it's on page 898 there in most of the Bibles that, uh, that you've got. 
And I want to give a little context to this. Uh, I know uh, in this, in this uh, conversation today, as we, uh, as we talk about what feels like a relationship topic, what feels like even a, a marriage topic, I know that not everyone in the room is, is, is dating right now uh, or is married, uh, but, but we know that, that God has defined love for us, as we talked about last week. And our, our first responsibility is to live in that love and then to keep our eyes on his design for relationships and his design for a covenant relationship. God has shown us what a covenant relationship looks like. Our love with him, our, our, our relationship with him is not a contract. In a contract relationship, if either party doesn't keep their end of the bargain, the contract gets torn up and you move on and, and, and there's nothing left there. God didn't say, hey, you better keep your end of the bargain and then I'll love you. No, he decided to love us. He sent his son, Jesus, for us while we were still sinners. And so he, he gave us a, a covenant relationship where he keeps up his end of the bargain no matter what we do. And that's my, my hope for this morning is to uh, just point to God's covenant love, to remind us of that. We don't know what's ahead of us. We don't know if we'll all get to be in a relationship or enter a relationship. But I want to point us to God's design and talk about some healthy expectations for a relationship. Conflict happens when we have expectations that are not met. And so this morning, I want to have a conversation. What are healthy expectations? What are the things that we can expect in a relationship? What are the things that we should expect in a relationship? If we're looking forward for a relationship, we're trying to repair our relationship, what can we look for and how can we address conflict? So let's read this together. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, page 898. It says this. And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means love your wives, just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Now there's a lot in there. There's a lot of things that could probably uh, get us in trouble if someone were to take them out of context. Or maybe even as you hear those, uh, those verses now, you're thinking like, I don't like the way this is going. And, and so give me a, a chance to, to explain these things here. I love verse 21 being at the front of this passage because it sets the tone for everything that we're about to hear and everything that's going to be said for relationships, for dating, for marriage, and for this whole uh, covenant expectation and this covenant relationship that we're supposed to model and work toward. Verse 21 says this, and further submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Everything that we're about to hear, everything that's going to happen in a relationship, everything that God wants, everything that God designed is built on the fact that these two people in this relationship are supposed to have their eyes on Jesus. They're supposed to be walking after Jesus. They're supposed to be following Jesus. So what can we learn about conflict from this? Well, conflict happens when our eyes aren't on Jesus. 
You are in a relationship now. You've been in a relationship. You've thought through this concept. Everything that happens in a relationship is supposed to be unfolding as you're running toward Jesus, as your eyes are on him. You're not looking at your spouse and thinking, man, my spouse is perfect. You're looking at Jesus and thinking he's perfect and he's asked me to love my spouse. He's asked me to partner with my spouse. And so as soon as our eyes come off of Jesus and and go to our spouse, you're going to notice something. Your spouse has bad breath. It's true. Maybe you've only been married a month, but you will eventually learn that. Your spouse has bad breath. And so the overall mission of following Jesus, of being a follower of Jesus, being a a disciple of his, being a Christ follower, being a Christian, is that your eyes are on him, your mission is coming from him, and he's dictating your life. That doesn't stop when you enter a relationship. Now, it, it often does, but it's not supposed to. The reality is that most of us enter a relationship and then we're tempted to think like, oh, they're perfect. I love them so much. They complete me. Look at them. Look how cute they are. Look at everything. Look at the way they wrinkle their nose when they laugh. I just want to be with them forever. I want to shower them with gifts and I want to spend all my time with them. And we quickly make our significant other, our boyfriend, our girlfriend, our fiance, our husband, our wife, into a small G God. And it might go without saying, but someone that has bad breath does not make a good God. You can quote me on that next time you're in a fight, all right? It's probably going to blow up in your face, so don't call me when it does, all right? But, but we make our significant others into a small G God, and we think they complete me. They're going to make my life perfect. I'm going to take care of them, and they're going to take care of me. And that's when conflict happens, because your spouse, your fiance, your boyfriend, your girlfriend will never complete you. They will notice your imperfections, you will notice their imperfections, and you will find that you fight often about everything. And so the tone of this passage is set, and further submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Your eyes are on him, you're following him, and as you're following him, he's saying, hey, you're compelled by my love to love your spouse. You're compelled by my love to serve your spouse. So do that. Then verse 22 happens, and this is probably one of these verses that I think sometimes people hear and they think like, ooh, I don't like the, I don't like the sound of that. Is that verse saying that women shouldn't work outside the home or they shouldn't go to college? Or no, it's not saying any of these things. God is setting the tone here for how he has built relationships. And he says this, for wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. And before you go getting mad about that, then he talks to husbands He says, for husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. Sounds easy, right? No, wrong. He gave up his life for her. All right? So yeah, there's some statement of intent there. There's some things that are being said, and God is saying, here's how I've outlined this this relationship. As your eyes are on me, as you're walking after me, this is what I want from you. And there's there's kind of a job description for both of you. He says, first, your eyes are on me. You're walking after me. And as that's happening, husband, you should be loving your wife and serving your wife. And she should be looking to you as the leader of the home. Now, that can fall apart pretty quickly, but it only falls apart quickly when the husband isn't doing his job. If a husband is loving and serving his family, I don't know a lot of people that wouldn't say, I want to follow that guy. I'm compelled by his love. As he looks to Christ, he inspires me and encourages me, and I want to run after Jesus with him. But often, men, 
I'm one of you, so I can make fun of us. We don't do our job. We don't set the tone for our families and for our homes. We're not being led by the Spirit. Our eyes aren't on Jesus, and so we're not doing our job, and everything subsequently falls apart. Verses 22 and 25 teach us that conflict happens when we're not submitting to God's plan. When one of us is submitting to God's plan, it feels a little awkward. When we're both sort of submitting to God's plan, it's tough to follow. When our eyes are on him and we're compelled by his love and we're loving each other and we're both fulfilling these roles, we're not thinking, well, why would I follow you? Why would I submit to you? You haven't served me. You don't love me. When we're living as God designed, we're thinking, I'm inspired by the way my wife runs after Jesus. I'm inspired by the way my wife loves our family. I'm inspired by the way my wife sacrificially loves me. And it reminds me of the love of Jesus. This design isn't about hierarchy because ultimately you have two people who are submitting to Jesus. There's no one in this equation that isn't submitting to Jesus. And there's no one in this equation that doesn't feel a little bit of pressure because sometimes we mess up or we let our spouse down and we don't do this right. And so there's some pressure here and everyone is feeling that pressure. But God's saying, listen, this isn't about pressure. This is about being compelled by my love and going with the flow of what I've created. I think sometimes we, we try to fight against God's design and his love can, can be like a river that, that takes us where he wants us to be. When we fight that, when we try to sit outside of God's design, I think we'll often find that conflict happens and, and fighting happens. And he's saying, listen, I want you to both submit to me. Husbands, I want you to lead your family, to lead your wife, to lead your children, lead your children, and, and to do that as you point them to me. And some of us think like, well, yeah, that's really difficult. And so I love... Verse 26, I like to call it Husbanding for Dummies. It's a book, it's got one verse. It says this, that our job is to make our, our family, to make our spouse, to make our girlfriend, our fiance, our, our wife, make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. If you don't know how to lead because your dad didn't set the tone, your dad didn't show you that, maybe your dad wasn't even in your family, your dad was absent, he wasn't a spiritual leader, point your family to God's word. Remind them to read God's word, speak God's word into them, write them encouraging notes with God's word, make time for them to be able to spend time in God's word, program your life so that they can know God's word, so that they can attend a youth group, so that they can attend movement kids, so that they can know God's word. That is how you love people. That is how you serve people. That is how you lead people. That is how you do your job, husbands. You're going to feel inadequate. You're going to mess up, but it is not rocket science. Point them to God's word. You do not have to be perfect. You do not have to be Superman. You do not have to be the Apostle Paul or Jesus. You just have to point them to Jesus. And you do that by pointing them to God's word. Conflict happens when our eyes aren't on Jesus. And conflict happens when we're not submitting to God's plan. Verse 29 tells us that conflict happens when we think of ourselves as better than others. Verse 29 says this, no one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it. 
So if we're going to look at a relationship as, as two people who are submitting to Jesus, if we're going to look at a marriage relationship as two people who are joined together who are one flesh, then we are not separate entities. We are not two different people. And so when you care for your spouse, you're caring for yourself. And this passage clearly says we're really good at taking care of ourselves, so just bring that same intensity and that same attitude as you care for your spouse and care for their body like you care for your body. Sometimes we're a little selfish. We think like, oh, that's their problem. They got themselves in that mess. I'm not going to take care of that. I think I've told this story before, but uh, my, my wife, who might be in the room, uh, has an ability to lose her phone in a way that sometimes makes me a little angry, all right? And my good friend Don up here, one of our elders, one time did his job and said, you know, when she loses her phone, if you were viewing your marriage as one flesh, it's not she lost her phone, it's we lost our phone, or even I lost my phone. And if I've never publicly said it, Don, I hated that you said that. I don't like it. <laughs> I never lose my phone, ever. Or that's what I like to think. But if I'm viewing our relationship as one flesh, I lose my phone about every hour, it turns out. <laughs> sometimes I leave it in the fridge. Sometimes it's in the garage all day. No one knows why. I lose my phone all the time. And that's not a them problem. That's a me, we problem. And I need to care for my spouse. You need to care for your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your fiance like it's your flesh, like it's your problem, like you lost that thing. We don't often think about caring for ourselves because we have such good self-awareness, right? When I'm hungry, what do I do? I get food. I cut myself and I'm bleeding, what do I do? I get me a Band-Aid because I need a Band-Aid and I deserve a Band-Aid. And so how can we go from being selfish to others focused? Just have an awareness and show the same compassion and the same motivation that you do for your spouse that you would give yourself. Maybe try to muster up some selfishness that you can show toward them, that you can help take care of them. Love them with the same passion that you love yourself. Conflict happens when we think of ourselves as better than others. And so we address needs, we have awareness of needs, and let's be honest, sometimes we need to address conflict. How can we address conflict? I'm, I'm glad that you asked. I've actually got a list that I want to show you. This is how we can address conflict. First of all, you should probably spend some time reading Galatians 6 this week. It's a, just a list of the fruit of the Spirit. Some of you know that list. There are a lot of things in there that would say, hey, if you're walking with the Spirit, if you're being led by the Spirit, if your eyes are on Jesus, this is what your life should look like. This is how you should act. Some of these things are from there. Some of them are from other things. But one of the best ways that you can detoxify conflict is to show humility. What is humility? It's restraining. I'm sorry, it's laying aside my perceived rights. Sometimes we, we don't want to be humble. We don't want to accept that we may have a part in the fault. We want to just project onto people, this is your fault. This is what you do. I have a right to be right, and I did my part, and you didn't do your part, and so now you've let us down, and this is your problem. 
And yet you think of the example of our Savior Jesus when he went to the cross. He didn't say, this isn't my problem. He said, I'm taking on this problem. I'm taking on your problem. This is now our problem, and I'm going to address this problem. He laid aside his perceived rights, humbled himself, and served us, and we get to do the same thing in our relationships every day. We don't need to say, I'll apologize if they apologize to me, or they do this all the time, or I love them, but they're not going to walk all over me. When we're showing humility, when we're laying aside our rights, we're giving up our day in court. Gentleness is another way that we can detoxify conflict. We can restrain the might of our power. We can we can look at our tone and say, yeah, there's a way that I could come at this and maybe argue it in a court of law and I could use some logic that would make me right and I can bend and sway the arguments and I can talk a certain way and I can raise my voice and I could win, but I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to choose to do that. I'm going to choose instead to be gentle and think of the other person and care for the other person. And finally, we can show patience, bearing with one another in love. There's a saying that Rome wasn't built in a day. Maybe you've never been to Rome. I haven't. So we'll flip this. We'll say that marriages weren't built in a day. You can say I do in a day, but learning to be patient with each other takes time. And it takes energy. And it takes victories. And it takes days and weeks and months and years. And when you've been wronged and you have the power to retaliate and you still choose not to use that power, you're choosing patience. And you're choosing love. Those are ways that you can detoxify conflict if there's something going on. But what does it look like for us to just make sure that we have the right foundation? What does it look like for us to to make sure that we're, we're building a marriage and pursuing a marriage where conflict is not happening and conflict is not getting in the door? I love that basically this passage kind of sets it up and and says that. And so verses 31 and the verses after that are kind of a review of something that's been in play since God created marriage and since Genesis chapter 2. Here's three ways to keep conflict away in a more permanent tone. God says that we're going to leave other distractions. When we're committed to a relationship, we're going to leave other things behind. For almost everyone here, that was your family in some regard. Maybe you moved out of your mom's house and right into your your marital house. Maybe you you left your frat bros and moved into your, your marital house. Maybe you left your roommate or maybe you just had to leave the single life behind in some way and say, I'm committed to you, I'm married to you, I'm leaving those things behind and you're my world now. That's not a one-time decision. God wants our focus in relationships to be that we're continually leaving things behind. And so older people, middle-aged people, you may find that you have to leave behind some hobbies. You may find that you have to leave behind a promotion or a career and change your perspective. People who are in the, the, the years of, of being grandparents, you may find that you have to focus a little more on your spouse and a little less on being a grandma or a grandpa. You may have to leave behind things that are important and things that are good so that you can be focused in your relationship. But that's what it looks like to avoid conflict because when we have conflict, we're often not living in God's design. And that's not just something that happens the day we get engaged where you think like, all right, can't have dudes night anymore. It happens to 40-year-olds and to 60-year-olds. And God's saying constantly, if you're going to have a relationship that points to me and points to my love, you're going to have to leave things behind, leave other distractions. God says that we have to join together completely. 
He says that we should share life. And again, that's not something that just happens the day of our wedding. Guys, you didn't just throw out that Xbox that you had from college and think like, all right, I'm a great husband. No, you're going to have to constantly work to share your life, to share your finances, to share your Google calendar, to share your social life, to make sure that you're doing things together that you both love that are drawing your hearts together, to make sure that you're having conversations that draw your hearts together, to make sure that you're spending time together drawing your hearts together. That's what God wants, and that's how he designed relationships. That's how he designed marriage, and that's his goal, so that your love points people to his love. We have to leave distractions behind. We have to join together completely, and we have to unite into one. And yes, let me just say, I'm talking about sex, right? God says that his design for marriage is that we would be one flesh. And we're going to talk about this a lot more uh, next week and in the coming weeks. God didn't say that everyone should be having sex. God said that inside of his design of marriage, he gave us the gift of sex to draw us together and to make us one flesh so that we won't get mad when phones get lost. That's exactly what he wanted from that design, right? No, he he said that. He said, I want you to be one flesh. I want your eyes to be on one another. I want you to take care of each other. And you get to enjoy this gift that no one else is supposed to enjoy. And so there's no shame in that. And that should be regularly occurring in a marriage. And as that's occurring, it's drawing you together physically. And it's drawing you together emotionally. And sometimes one person thinks like, well, I didn't even want that or I didn't want that to happen. But there's something magical about what God has designed. And it makes us one flesh And it makes our relationship different than any other relationship on earth or any other relationship that you're ever going to have. It's part of his design and it's part of what he wants. And it's the way that he safeguards us from conflict. So he says, leave behind these other distractions. Focus on each other. Be completely joined together and unite into one. Some of you might know that I I like comedy probably a little more than I should. And... Chris Rock did a a special a while back called Tambourine. And uh, that'll make more sense as I kind of tell you this story here. I don't know where he stands with Jesus. And I almost didn't want to tell this story because I hate when people are like, hey, I watched this, but you can't watch it. But I promise I saw a clip online and it was clean, all right? So I'm not endorsing the whole special. I don't know what he said. But I think he stumbled on some truth that was, was wisdom and was what God created for relationships. And I'm not even sure that he knows it. But he said this said, people say, oh, relationships are tough. No, they're not. They're only tough when one person is working on them. Two people can move a couch real easy. One person can't move it at all. If you're in a relationship, let me try to help you right now. Rule number one, stop competing. Her success is your success, and your success is her success. Number two, there is no equality in a relationship. It's like, we're equals, No, you're not. You're both here to serve. You are in the service industry, okay? You're in a band. And when you're in a band, you have roles that you play in the band. And sometimes you sing lead, and sometimes you play the tambourine. And if you're on the tambourine, play it right. Play it with a smile, because no one wants to see a mad tambourine player. (laughs) And he's right, isn't he? I think we all like to think that in our relationships, we're important and we set the tone. And ultimately, 
we're all playing tambourine. There should be moments that we're very clearly playing tambourine because at best, we are not the lead singer. We are following the example of Jesus. We are submitting to the love of Jesus and we are following what he wants to do in our relationship separately and together as we mutually submit to him. And so love is giving a person what they need and what they need is the love of Jesus. And what they need is to be pointed to love's design and what they need is for you to lay aside your rights and your ego and everything that you want to bring into the relationship that might be current baggage or past baggage. What they need is their eyes on Jesus as you avoid conflict together. Conflict is not necessarily bad. Conflict is the gateway to intimacy. And so when we fight, we have an opportunity to understand each other in a way that we never have before. But sometimes we don't fight fair. We don't lean into conflict correctly. We don't come at it with a servant heart and a a desire to serve. And so we use it to stab each other and take little shots and to make things worse long term. But conflict is a gateway to intimacy When done correctly. If you want a big idea for today, it's this. Conflict is resolved when we give a person what they need and not what they deserve. What do people need? The love of Jesus. What do people need to be pointed to the love of Jesus? What does your spouse, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your fiance need to be reminded of God's love for them and God's design for their relationship? What do they deserve? Not much. They probably deserve your sarcasm and they deserve your silent treatment, and they deserve your raised voice. But you get to give them gentleness, and you get to give them patience, and you get to give them the love of Jesus and a response that will remind them of the love of Jesus. That's how we take away conflict. That's how we avoid conflict. That's how we build marriages and relationships that are strong. And I don't know where you're at in the room, if you're single, but I hope there's a part of this that challenges you to begin working on your relationships now in preparation of a relationship that may be someday. Maybe if you're dating right now and you're saying, this is my preparation for marriage, maybe you've been reminded of of a way that you can tweak your relationship so that conflict is handled in a more healthy way. Maybe you're engaged or maybe you're married and maybe, maybe you're gonna be going out on a date tomorrow night. Maybe, unfortunately, I just ruined your date and you need to talk about some things and say, how can we be more gentle? How can we point each other to the love of Jesus? I don't think that that's a bad thing because conflict is the gateway to intimacy and you'll never be more aware of how much your spouse loves you than after you go through conflict correctly. But that's my heart for us as a church. That's God's heart for us as a church and that's our desire today. Let me pray as we close. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus, and showing us exactly what a relationship looks like, exactly what submission looks like, exactly what your love for the church looks like. And so, God, I ask that today you will help us to be humble, help us to be gentle, and help us to be reminded of your design for marriage and for relationships. God, help us to know that ultimately relationships are not about us. They're about submitting to you and following you and drawing our spouse, drawing our boyfriend, girlfriend, fiance into that and leading them and reminding them of your love. God, help us to be a church full of relationships that point people to Jesus. Help us to be a church full of marriages that point each other to Jesus. As that's happening, Lord, we, we know and we trust that the world will see that, the world will see you and the world will be changed. 
Help us to be humble today and to, to be honest about the things we need to fix. It's in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Movement Church Podcast. Our vision is to be a movement of people finding their way back to God. We hope wherever you are, this message encouraged you to take your next step in your relationship with Jesus. For more information about Movement Church, including attending a worship experience, getting connected, or giving online, please visit movementcolumbus.com.